1: This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network.
2: Happy Fake Monday, everyone. It is the Tuesday after a long weekend, and we are all refreshed and relaxed here on the Hash. We got Adam B. Levine. Wendy O, Will Foxley, and me, Jensen Assey here on Coindesk TV and the Coindesk Podcast Network. We are talking about some big Ethereum news. The merge is imminent, Will. Tell us what is happening.
3: Okay, everyone do the hands, right? It's happening. We're doing that. The merge is coming (laughs) September 15th. There we go. I got windy this morning. September 15th is the projected deadline for the merge to occur. It could occur between September 13th and 16th. And that's because they're basing the merge on some blockchain numbers and not on calendars like we like to use. We had a hard fork over the weekend, Bellatrix, which was an upgrade to the proof of stake chain, the beacon chain that is already live. The Bellatrix upgrade essentially made it possible for the beacon chain and for the proof of work chain that's already active, both those chains are active, to connect with each other for the actual merge date. This is a huge event in crypto. I think just in terms of like larger events out there, it's up there with like Bitcoin being created, Ethereum launching, and now we have the merge showing that proof of stake is at least feasible to move into. We'll see how it holds up over the next few years, but at least it's feasible to move into and do this upgrade, which has long been touted as a reason for Ethereum to exist in the first place uh, when it's competing with Bitcoin. Adam, I want to throw this one over to you. Huge deal coming up in the next week or so. How are you planning on celebrating or are you going to celebrate?
4: (laughs) Oh, man, I'm so risk averse that I'm not one that really celebrates about these types of things. I honestly look at the upcoming date with a little bit of trepidation. It's not trepidation because they haven't done their diligence on it. It's trepidation because something like this is audacious in scope. And there are so many things that could go wrong that it just seems like there's a non-zero chance of that happening. And I think that this is an incredibly important moment for Ethereum. This is a moment where now that they're finally moving forward with this, the success or failure of it in the immediate term, much less kind of in the future, will really define what the market is going to look like and whether or not there's really space for companies like Solana out there who have largely made their sort of claim to why they should exist and why they're a better alternative based around some of the things that Ethereum is in fact adopting now. It's not going to take them all of the distance that they need to go. But again, to the extent that this goes well, it will be an incredibly strong catalyst for Ethereum and will really kind of prove that they can do these types of things, which Bitcoin for all of the things that it's good at has always been incredibly conservative out of an abundance of concern because it's worth a lot of money. Well, Ethereum's worth a lot of money too, 200 billion dollars in terms of value on that blockchain right now, and that's not even counting a lot of stuff. So, I think it's a it's a huge milestone, it's a huge accomplishment to even get to this point. I really 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 hope it goes well because I think to the extent it doesn't, it's going to be problems. But I'm hopeful. Let's see. Wendy, how about you?
0: I'm very excited, but I'm also very cautious. And thank you for using that big word. I thought it was absolutely outstanding (laughs) and it made your point just hit home a lot harder. I'm just kidding, giving you a hard time. I'm excited for the merge. I think it's fantastic. I actually minted a NFT on Solana last night and I kind of wish it was on Ethereum because the network was... There's so many problems with the network and with Ethereum, you can just keep adding more gas to push the transaction through. So that was cool. Um, But I agree with everything that you said that there's a lot, a lot, a lot of money riding on this. Like I couldn't imagine being one of the devs that were working on the merge. I would feel so much responsibility. Like a lot of people are very invested in Ethereum, especially the NFT community. And one of the things I want to let the audience know is guys, just be patient. There could be things that go wrong. Tech is hard. It doesn't always go as it's supposed to go. And I just hope that this is a positive thing for crypto in the long run just because so many people are so invested. Jen, what are your thoughts?
2: I am also excited, but also cautious at the same time. So I take both Wendy and Adam, what you said, and I I take that to heart, but I have a question for you, Will. Besides planning a celebration, if someone out there has Ethereum, they hold Ether in their wallet, what do they need to do to prep for this, if anything?
3: Sit back and relax. You don't have to do anything, actually, which is pretty nice. (laughs) I do think there's some people in the ecosystem who are preparing. Uh, there's a lot of exchanges that need to do things. Are they going to list this ETHPOW token? There's miners that are having to decide what to do with these huge stacks of GPUs. Are they going to mine other coins? Are they going to go into other computation? Or are they going to stick around and see if ETHPOW is actually a mineable token? For our everyday users who are just holding accounts, you don't really need to do anything unless you choose to be aggressive chasing some ETHPOW tokens or trying to get some of these tokens that are going to be on the forknet of the Ethereum chain that we might see and see if you want to trade those. But for someone who's just rock and rolling with just Ether, a few other tokens, and you're not really worried about anything else, sit back, relax. Everything should be fine on that side. Wendy, to you.
0: One of the things I did want to remind everyone is that we're hearing a lot of different reports about exchanges kind of halting trading or not allowing deposits or withdrawals during this time. So please, 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 if you're somebody who is actively investing, please make sure that you pay attention to whatever exchange you're using follow the rules, understand when this is going to be, and also maybe take into consideration other projects that that you're using that are built with Ethereum technology that also could cause some issues there. So just please plan and please have this like in your investing and trading journals because things can get absolutely (laughs) crazy during this time. Maybe don't trade at
3: all. Things are definitely going to be interesting on the trading front. I think if you get involved with the ETH POW token and just for listeners out there, what that means is there's going to be the ETH POS when the merge happens and the fork goes over, we see a new chain sort of continue or merge, obviously, with ETHPOW and ETHPOS together. And then we might see this ETHPOW track continue. So we'd have the original Ethereum chain continue. And there you'd have essentially two tokens, right? And so everyone who has Ethereum in an account or has a token built on Ethereum would have two versions of the same thing. The difference, though, will be the economic value of it. It's more than likely that the ETH POS token is going to have significantly more value than the ETH POW token. That doesn't mean that the ETH POW token will be valueless, just means it's going to be worth a lot less because of the history of these forks and then looking at how many people are going to support the ETH POW chain. I do expect a lot of ETH POW chains to be supported on some of these weird exchanges out there like Poloniex. And then I think there's going to be some really aggressive trading strategies by people who are proficient in these things. So there's definitely going to be some fireworks, but I think for the average user, they're not gonna notice anything. Hopefully they won't notice anything at all, actually.
1: CoinDesk has a new event. It's called Ideas. The Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets all in one place. Use code hash20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coinestcom forward slash ideas.
3: let's move over to the next story. I think we're throwing it over to Adam for a we'll little talk about finance. Right. It's funny, you know, talking about
4: uh, Poloniex as like a weird exchange. Like it used to be a really primary <laughs> exchange. It used to be a big deal in this space. And again, like it's just, it's so funny how things go from uh, important to obsolescence. But speaking of exchanges and a bit of interesting news, the world's largest crypto exchange, which is of course Binance, announced yesterday that on September 29th, so less than a month from now, the trading of three U.S. dollar pegged stablecoins, including the number two stablecoin USDC, will cease and will be converted into BUSD, the exchange's own dollar peg token, which is currently the third largest by supply. And it's kind of a distant third to USDC with only about 19 billion compared to about 40 billion. I think it's 42 billion that's in USDC. Anyways, it's worth noting that when you withdraw, you will be able to get an equivalent amount of tokens that they're now no longer going to support. So this move which I don't really think anyone expected has kind of a lot of ambiguity in it honestly at least for now around why the exchange is doing it and what it could mean for the stablecoin market moving forward. One possible explanation is that the number 3 stablecoin is simply going after the number 2 stablecoin. Finance as the largest crypto exchange attracts a whole lot of stablecoins which are held and they could simply be performing a kind of almost vampire attack in a way that kind of reminds me of how Sushi attacked a different protocol early, you know, in its life cycle as a way to sort of extract value. Basically, the idea here is that when USDC stablecoins and these other stablecoins are cashed in, that dollar is then used to uh, create a new BUSD, which then would make it so that you kind of have this zero sum game where for every USDC stablecoin that's put into the exchange, they're actually going to remove one from circulation and create a new one for the number three stablecoin. On the other hand, this could be tied to regulation. Notably Tether, the largest stablecoin, will continue to trade. And so it kind of brings up some interesting comparisons, you know, to these uh, regulated U.S.-based stablecoins. And then it also could be consolidating trading pairs, which could be a much more boring explanation because right now, Binance maintains markets for each of these stablecoins against a lot of their pairs. And this would allow them to really consolidate into just BUSD, which would improve liquidity. Uh, there are even other possible explanations here, but I think that that's enough to get us started. Will, why don't you take this one first? What, what, what do you see when you're looking at this?
3: Yeah, this is a headline that actually should not have caught anyone off guard, but I think it did catch a lot of people off guard. It makes sense that they would do something like this, right? Binance has its own stablecoin. There's a lot of stablecoins out there and stablecoins are in competition with each other. They're all chasing the same yield on the backside when they're investing these stablecoin dollars into the reserves. And they're all also chasing clients and customers to use the stablecoins, whether for DEXs or for trading on a sex or any other sort of project out there. And they want to take the largest market. It is a winner-takes-all market. And what we've seen is that Tether has been slowly dropping while USDC has been rising. USDC is backed by a conglomerate of Circle and Coinbase. Coinbase is a very large competitor to Binance. And if Binance has the ability to push project that Coinbase has worked on out, by using its market position, they're going to do that. It makes sense for them to do it. They're going to be in perfect competition with each other and continue fighting over it. The interesting thing from like the economic side of this or the finance side of this is like how much USDC does Binance have on tap and on reserve to be able to do these sort of swaps? And if they don't have enough, what does that mean for BUSD, right? Like you said, they're honoring redemptions in whatever stablecoin you want. So if you have BSUSD on the platform and you want to swap out to USDC and move off the platform, Binance can do that for you. They might just have to purchase on the market at that time. They might have a reserve. There might be a few other ways of doing it. But the, the fact that they're including that gives you a little hint about like Binance's position in terms of holding USDC. So you get into this weird spot where you're not only competing with each other, but you're also mutually upholding each other because you have to have reserves of your competitor's stablecoin on the market. These are things where... It, it gets really odd, right? You have all these stablecoins floating around, people are competing with each other. I think we're going to see exchanges try to build more and more modes for themselves around stablecoins because it means more customers. Jen, I'll throw it over to you to get your take on the story though.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to latch on to what you were saying on competitiveness. So last week we talked about you know NFT marketplaces getting more competitive. There was one marketplace we spoke about last week, that was making royalties optional. And that kind of extended into the story for me. I think Binance, especially in the market conditions we're in, needs to find the way to have an edge over other exchanges. They, I wanted to say famously, but it's not famously, it's not infamously. They undercut Coinbase on their fees. That's noted in the story. And I think, you know, during a bull market, everyone's making money. We don't hear about this competitiveness as much. But during the bear market, I think we're going to see Exchanges come up with creative ways to stay ahead. Binance is still the number one exchange. And if they, can, if they can get another leg up on their competitors in this way, I think we're going to see more of this. Wendy, what do you think?
0: I think that it is a very, very smart move as a business. Binance, I believe, is currently the top crypto exchange by market cap. They do a lot of volume there. So this makes sense. Why wouldn't they want to be the alpha and be like, you know what, this is what we're going to do on our platform. I think as a trader, it's going to help with liquidity with a lot of the other, you know, trading pairs that they have to kind of get rid of all those other stable coins and consolidate things. So I think it's a very smart idea. I also want to agree with Adam. I think that it does probably have something to do with some of the regulation in coming. We know that there was a story that came out talking that about California, that they could potentially ban stable coins in California if they weren't backed by a bank. And this would take place in 2025. If that does happen, I have to move out of California because I can't work here anymore. <laughs> So I think it's a combination of liquidity, it's a combination of we want to be the alpha, we want to be the top dog, and it's also with impending regulation. Finance was actually hit very very hard in the crypto bull run with all of these different countries saying you didn't register, you didn't do this, we're going to fine you, we're going to do x y and z. So I think that they're taking precautions now to ensure that they sustain and re- they remain the top crypto exchange. Will, did you have your hand up?
3: Yeah, I'll take one last thought on this is that I think this actually strengthens the stablecoin market first look, it might be like, no, this is actually bad for the stablecoin market because there's going to be more cutting uh, competition between different coins. But if you think about it, the fact that they're going to do redemptions for USDC and have a reserve on hand and only implementing their own token means that we're probably going to get better volumes and prices on all these stablecoins. There's going to be more pairing because the arbitrage differences are going to be cut across. So I'm interested to see if that does hold up. We've seen some of that happen in a DeFi landscape with the curve ecosystem, where you have these different pools where you can trade different stable coins against one another, and that's helped keep stable coins around that dollar mark or whatever it is your stable backing for your asset itself. I think with exchanges starting to compete with stable coins, we're going to see more of that as opposed to less of that. Throw it right up to you,
4: Adam. Yeah, just one last thought. You know, if you look back in history, there are periods of time before the Civil War where private banks issued their own currency against reserves of gold that they held in a very similar way to what we see today with U.S. dollars and stable coins. And what was often used as and this, the same mechanism was actually often used during that time where you would have banks that would accept other banks notes and then go and redeem them in bulk and basically make it easier for people to redeem those notes and then give them notes from your bank instead. So again, like this is an interesting sort of repetition of history that we're seeing here. And if it does become something that sort of spreads across the industry, at least to the larger players, then I think it will have interesting repercussions that I'm honestly struggling to really understand where it's going to go. But it's definitely a story that we should be watching very closely. And I think it's going to be an important one.
2: All right, like we were talking about Binance. We are sticking with them. Because they are allegedly partnering with Nigeria in a plan to create a virtual free zone. So the country is hoping to create something similar to Dubai's digital city, which is establishing itself as a hub for digital assets and long-term economic growth. I thought this was interesting because there was a Bloomberg report early in August that said Nigeria is the most crypto-curious country, according to Google search reports and report by... I believe it was CoinMarketCap. Adam, what do you make of the story? And while you tell us what you make, I'm just going to verify that that report was by (laughs) CoinMarketCap.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think that it makes a lot of sense. Again, like one of the fastest growing areas where there's the most interest in these types of things. And you're talking about an exchange that has frankly more money than it knows what to do with. Like it would be surprising to me if we didn't see more exchanges do something similar here. Effectively, what we're in right now is a foot race for who can establish dominance in not just global markets, but in national markets across the world. And to the extent that a country is more interested in these things, they're more interesting to these exchanges. You know, we talked about it earlier in the show. I mentioned that, you know, Poloniex used to be a really big deal as an exchange. And now nobody talks about them except for when we're talking about something weird happening because they're not important anymore. That moment of relevance, like that's something you have to hold on to. Otherwise it goes away. Because what happens is Companies, when they're small, they can do things that you can't get away with when you're big. And Binance made a lot of money by being small, and now they're making a lot of money by being big. But they got to keep doing that. They have to keep innovating and not get stagnant. So that's what I see here. This is, a again, it's a it's a somewhat mature move, but I think it totally fits what they're doing. And strategically, it makes a lot of sense to me. Jen, how about you?
2: Okay, so it was CoinGecko. Sorry, my brain is still in long weekend mode. So please forgive me, everyone. This is really interesting. And I wonder how many of these virtual free zones we're going to see pop up as countries really try to understand what the technology means for them and how their citizens want to interact with crypto. But it also seems like a huge motivator behind a lot of these virtual free zones is to motivate and attract companies to come there, set up there, become registered there and attract capital to a lot of these places. And I wonder how that is going to clash with regulation as we move forward. And and get more clarity, and so I think it's great. I think we need this. I just also wonder how regulators are looking at this. Well, what do you think?
3: Definitely a great story, and I think Nigeria fits the footprint for this. Right, we've seen from their past history that they've been a huge adopters of stablecoins, especially for remittances. Shout out to Useful tool-ups, the uh, data site that we actually talk about a decent amount on the hash, and it shows that there's a lot of volume for remittances going back and forth from Nigeria to different parts of the world. And we've seen a lot of that being through stable coins, right? People are using Paxful or they're using USDC or some other like Tether using those stable coins in order to facilitate international transfers. I think that just is one part of the story, right? If Nigeria wants to move into digital economy and they're quickly moving that way, then I think they're going to see more adoption of like these smaller products like stable coins. Uh, There's other things in here too as well, right? Like, probably going to see some metaverse pitches at some point, I'm sure. Uh, but there's tons of different things that go into these free economic zones. And I think crypto adoption for them makes a lot of sense based on like their tech adoption. And then also the history of using cryptocurrencies. Wendy, you?
0: I think this is absolutely fantastic. I love to see people with money giving back, especially to the underdogs. And when we're talking about remittances, remittances actually suck. They take a long time. They're expensive. And... Maybe some people don't have access to transportation to get a remittance done or to accept their remittance in some of these areas. So I think it's absolutely fantastic. I also think that it's very smart on a global scale when we're talking about marketing to really absorb that market share. And I know for me, how I grew up, word of mouth is important. Word of mouth is a really great way to market. I know some people might disagree and they're like, oh, well, you have the internet. Well, that's fine. You can market on the internet all you want, but there's certain cultures and there's certain groups of people that if they have a good experience, and they take that experience and they tell their families, their grandmas, their aunts, whomever it may be, those family members in that group are going to have loyalty and pledge loyalty to that particular brand. I think Binance knows that. And I think that they're purposely doing this. To me, it's a win-win and I'm very, very excited. On top of that, lastly, we're seeing a lot of places that are not being crypto-friendly. United States isn't necessarily crypto-friendly right now in some other parts of the world. So the places that are going to become crypto-friendly are essentially planning for the future. And it's going to be good for them economically later because people like myself that might have to leave California to go be somewhere where stable coins are allowed or where crypto is more accepted, I might have to look at places like that when I'm ready to move. What's going to be best for me? Where am I going to be treated best?
3: Denver, come out here. Come to the mountains. Denver? We'll get you. Well, I
0: guess we can can sing that one song. So... We can do the hash together. We should. On this Taco (laughs) Tuesday. Well, let's get into our next story over here. This was a very, very exciting thing. I'm sure everybody listening has probably heard about this mint. And it was the Ute Mint. And it happened over the weekend. It got delayed. There was a couple problems, but we got it sorted. But this story is probably taking the cake in regards to that. NFT software company Dust Labs raises $7 million during Ute's raise. So some of the participants include Foundation Capital, Solana Ventures, Metaplex, Jump, FTX Ventures, make a mental note of that, In Chapter One. The investment was a 50-50 split between company equity and its dust token, a representative told Coindesk. I have my thoughts on this. I talked about it in a space, but I want to get, I want to toss this over to Will first for your thoughts on this investment that occurred or this raise.
3: It's going to be coming right back to you pretty quickly here because I have a few questions about it. Uh, Solana, that's an NFT spot that a lot of people like but doesn't do as well as Ethereum. You mentioned that there's been some bugs with Solana. The minting process hasn't been as smooth. So those are like my first questions off the top. But then the market for NFTs is also down significantly right now. So for the enthusiasm from these mints, very different from 2021, what was it like to be involved with this mint in 2022? after the bull market, probably one of the first big bear market mints.
0: To be honest, I didn't like the process to mint on Solana just because I had to sit by my computer for like an hour and 30 minutes for it to get to go through because it kept saying network error, network error. At least with Ethereum, like I said earlier, you could add more gas. And if you want to have a gas or push gas up to like $1,000 to get the transaction to go through, you can do that. Overall though, it was a very highly anticipated process project the way that they did the rollouts, like how how you got whitelisted. You had to do the scholarship thing. You had to apply. And when they announced that you were whitelisted, it it was super fun. Like I was like, yay, I got, you know, a scholarship. I was able to tweet about it. I wasn't paid at all. I used my own capital. But it was super fun. I'm going to throw it toss this over to Adam and then Jen.
4: Honestly, I don't have a ton (laughs) to say about this one. You know, I mean, you didn't to companies use. raise money. You know, Come on, Adam. I mean, like, I, I, I'm not a big Ute guy. I mean, it's just, uh, I Ute I Ute I mean, if you want a Ute. I, I think, again, I think what we continue to see, seriously, in, in this part of the market cycle is that people continue to raise money, right? Like the projects are getting more selective in terms of what's actually succeeding. We've seen a lot of projects pull back and just not do launches in this type of an environment. And I think that that's likely to continue. But I also think that this market tends to be really kind of follow the leader. So what you need in order to revive it is you need to have examples of this being a really good choice for people. So I think that it's not so much just about the mint. It's also about what comes after the mint. How do the prices, like how do these assets actually wind up trading to the extent that they trade well, then you get other people who say, Hey, we found a new best practice. And there you go. You're off to the races and suddenly it's a bull market again. So I think, again, it's an indicator, but to me, it's not super meaningful. Jen?
2: Yeah, I focused more on the raise, right? So there are some really big names that participated in the raise that Wendy mentioned at the beginning of the segment. And it said that Dust Labs is going to focus now on NFT tooling on Solana and Ethereum with that $7 million. And so I thought that was really interesting. They're focused on building out tooling, not only for the Solana ecosystem, but for Ethereum. And hopefully we can solve some of the problems that, Wendy, you experienced during the mint. I think during this current market, we're going to see a lot of the money that's deployed in the ecosystem go towards building out this tooling, right? So it's not just about the NFT projects, but it's about the utility behind the projects, making these NFTs useful when we're in the next bear market. So I thought that was interesting. Will, did I see your hand go up?
3: Yeah, I have a question for Wendy as we wrap up. Do you think there's going to be like a split during the bear market between crypto enthusiasts and NFT enthusiasts, more so and more so? Because I saw this huge thing and the first thing I thought was like, I just don't care. But the Binance store and stable coins, I'm like, that's so interesting to me. But I think other people are the flip side, right? They're like, oh, I don't care about stable coins and Binance, that's so boring. NFTs are sick though. I want to talk more and more about that. From my talking like normie friends who are not really in crypto, I see that very much so where they're really into NFTs and don't care about anything else. But I'm wondering if you see that if you just see like more people getting into NFTs and there's start to be like a split between the two markets.
0: So just like there's Bitcoin maximalism and altcoins, it's the same exact thing. You're seeing people kind of pick sides and become maximalist with stuff. There's even fighting between the Ethereum and the Solana ecosystem which I think is absolutely stupid, but it is what it is. People like to argue over trivial things instead of focusing on making money. When it does come to NFTs, though, NFTs are a lot easier to use than or access than crypto, in my personal opinion. So we're going to see—we're really going to see adoption come in with NFTs, on Web3, and the metaverse. And yes, you will see a lot more division. And when I look at this type of division, it basically boils down to some people that missed out or some people that might not understand and just really silly tribalism. So let's bring it all together, guys. Let's try to make as much money as we can as ethically as possible in the bull run that is coming up.
2: One big happy family, just like we are here on The Hash. I think it, that's a great note to wrap it up on. Thank you for watching The Hash on this fake Monday, the Tuesday <laughs> after Labor Day. I'm Chen. We got Wendy, Adam, and Will here. We will be back tomorrow. Same time, same place. Have a great day and we'll see you tomorrow.